And Lord, I pray now that you'd meet us in the word. We need your work, Lord. Left to ourselves, we will not love your word. Left to ourselves, we will not delight in your word. And so would you come and bring the power of the Holy Spirit upon us now and open our eyes to see and to taste and to trust all that you tell us this morning in your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's turn to Psalm 119, uh, verses 97 through 104, working our way through Psalm 119. And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'd love to bring a copy of the scriptures to you so that you can study God's word with us. We are passionate about studying God's word here at Mercy Hill Church. And in the Bibles we're passing out, Psalm 119.97 is on page 514. So go ahead and turn there. Now, while, while you're turning there, let me tell you about Hudson Taylor. Okay, you know he's one of my heroes. I talk about him often. Hudson Taylor, one of the first um, missionaries to inland China. This is in the 1800s. And Hudson Taylor started the China Inland Mission, which ended up being a large missions agency. And so he was responsible for hundreds of missionaries spread over thousands of miles. And the reason I want to mention that to you is that that means he was a very busy man. I mean, think about the logistics and the supplies and the housing and the diplomatic relations and advancing the gospel and helping, you know, heal relationships and, you know, where do we go next? And he was a very, very busy man with massive responsibilities. And yet, even though he was so busy with such weighty responsibilities, every day he carved out time to study God's word. Let me read you what a friend of his, a traveling companion of his, wrote about him. In fact, we'll put it up here on the screen, I think. Will we? There it is. Here's what he said about Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor would invariably get his quiet time an hour before dawn. When I woke to feed the animals, I always found him reading the Bible by the light of his candle. No matter what the surroundings or the noise in those dirty inns, he never neglected this. So Hudson Taylor loved God's word so much that he never let a day go by without reading God's word and learning God's word and meeting the living Jesus in the truth of God's word. Never let a day go by. As busy as he was, it didn't stop him. He loved God's word that much. So here's the question I think the Lord wants us to be pondering this morning as we look at this next passage in Psalm 119. The question is, how much do we love God's word? How much do we love the word of God? And the reason that's our question is because in today's passage, that's his topic. He talks about how he loves God's word and why. So let's look at what he says, starting in verse 97. Psalm 119, 97. He says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. 
I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now, to walk us through this passage, I want to raise three questions. The first one is simply this. What does the author say? What does the psalmist say about God's word? Look at verse 97 again. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So he loves God's word. Notice that one first of all. Now, what does that mean, that he loves God's word? Loves the Bible, loves God's word. The Hebrew word is not complicated. The Hebrew word translated love here means to desire something, to delight in something, to find pleasure in something. And so he desires God's word. He finds pleasure in God's word. He delights in opening up God's word and reading God's word. Now, when I read that, I thought about, some of you maybe have seen this YouTube video of a group of believers in China who received, for the very first time, their own Bibles. Remember seeing that? Some of you saw that YouTube video? I'll send it out again. Okay. But here's a picture. Uh, it's coming up. Next picture. We'll see a picture of it. But in that, in that YouTube video, I mean, when they opened up the boxes of these Bibles, there were just tears coming down their faces. And they held them. And they cradled them. And they were holding them. And, and just, oh, they, they loved God's Word. And... The author of Psalm 119 loved God's word. He desired God's word. He delighted in God's word. He experienced pleasure in reading God's word. And because of that, he meditated on it, he says, all the day. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day, he says. Now, that's not because he was a pastor where part of his job was to study God's word. Most commentators think that the author of Psalm 119 was one of the kings of Israel, possibly David or one of the other kings. So again, think of all the responsibilities that the king of Israel would have had. We're dealing with, you know, road problems and enemies attacking and, you know, having this committee meeting over here and trying to balance the budget or, you know, the military issues. I mean, all these responsibilities. So he was not a pastor where part of his job was to meditate on God's word. He was a, he was busier than most of you, okay? Maybe all of you, I don't know, but he was very, very, very busy. And yet, he meditated on God's word all the day. And I think what that means is that as much as he could, given the different things, meetings and decisions, he was praying over and speaking God's word to himself throughout the day. Like maybe... um, there was, you know, the Philistines were attacking Israel, possibly. And he might have said, Father, thank you for the promise of Genesis 50, 20, that what the Philistines mean as evil, you mean as good. Thank you for your promise. He would have, he would have prayed and talked that promise to himself when the situation came up. Or uh, maybe he faced, maybe Israel was uh, maybe like in the thick of a famine, possibly. And he could have prayed, said, Lord, thank you, for Jeremiah 29.11, we know that your plans, God, are for good and not for harm. Lord, to bring us a future and a hope. And so strengthen my faith in that. Thank you for that promise. Or, or maybe he was having difficulty balancing the budget. 
And he thought of Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you continually. Lord, you promised to guide us continually. Guide me now. Give us wisdom as we talk about this budget issue. So he meditates on God's word all the day, which means that as much as possible, he is praying the scriptures and he is speaking the scriptures to himself. Now, think about that. If if he's going to do that throughout the day, that means he would have needed to know Genesis 50, 20 and Jeremiah 29, 11 and Isaiah 58, 11, right? Which means that he did spend time opening up the scriptures, reading, studying, memorizing, and he did that because he loved God's word, because he wanted to meditate on God's word throughout the day. Now, you might think that this was unique to this author, like that's what he was called to do, and that is what he was called to do, because that's what God calls all of us to do. Now, let me show you that. Look at, turn to the very first psalm, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It's interesting that Psalm 1, 1 and 2 has a very similar phrase as we find here in Psalm 119, verse 97. This is page 448 in the Bibles we passed out. Way back to the left, the very first Psalm, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Look at what he says. Blessed, that's the Hebrew word for happy. Okay, there's two different words for, he, for a blessed in the Hebrew. This is the one that means happy, joyful. Is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, that is the one who's blessed, happy, joyful, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Notice the similarity. Psalm 97 says, I love your law. This starts off saying, delight in the law. Psalm 1997, I meditate on your word all the day. This ends up with, on his law he meditates day and night. But notice that this is not just something that the psalmist of one nine, the author of one nine, Psalm 119 did. God encourages everyone to do this who wants to be happy, wants to be blessed. Delight in God's word. Love God's word and meditate on it day and night. Meditate on it throughout the day. Okay, now back to Psalm 119. We're asking this first question. What does the author say about God's word? And we see that he loves God's word and he meditates on it all the day. So do you love God's word so much that you meditate on it throughout the day? Now, if you don't, I have good news. Okay? One thing I love about the scriptures is that God doesn't just tell us what to do. He also tells us why. He gives us reasons to motivate us because the Holy Spirit will use those reasons to change our hearts. So if you are not, at this point, look back over your last week or two and said, ah, I have not loved God's word and I have not meditated on it throughout the day, all is not lost. Okay, You are not alone. In fact, the psalmist prays at one point, incline my heart to your word, which means help me to, to love your word more. And so God, I'm praying that God will use these two reasons he gives in these next verses to stir up our love for God's word and our passion to meditate on it day and night. Because in verses 98 through 103, the author explains why he loves God's word and meditates on it all the day. So why is that? Two reasons he gives in these verses. The first is in verses 98 through 100. Now, here's what he does in verses 98 through 100. He gives three illustrations, all to hammer away at the same point. And the point is this. God's word gives us more wisdom, more real, tangible, how to live the nitty-gritty of life 
wisdom. God's word gives more wisdom than anything else does. Anything else. No comparison. So look at how he does this. His first illustration is about his enemies. His enemies would have had lots of wisdom. Okay, Lots of wisdom. And look at what he says in verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Second illustration is about his teachers. Think about all the wisdom. Now we're talking about teachers. Teachers would have had lots of wisdom. That's why they're teachers. Lots of wisdom, lots of wisdom. So think about all the wisdom his teachers would have had, and then look at what he says in verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Wow. For your testimonies are my meditation. Third illustration is about the aged, that is, older people. Okay, older people, people who've lived life for decades, who've watched the ebbs and flows of the you know, history and people and met lots of people, just to have this, this seasoned wisdom, okay? All, all the wisdom older people have. But look at what he says in verse 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. So what he's saying is that God's word, see, the reason he has more than his enemies and more than his teachers and more than his aged, he's assuming that the enemies and the teachers and the ages, they don't, they're don't they not into God's word, okay? Many of them do, but, but he's thinking the reason I have more is because I've got God's word. That is, God's word gives us more wisdom than anything else. Now, that does not mean that God's word like is going to give you the intricacies of physics, Okay, or political science. So, I mean, it might speak into these different things, or botany, or computer science, whatever. But what God's Word does is it tells us why we're here. It tells us what physics, botany, political science, all these things are about, why they're important. It tells us why we're here on planet Earth and where all of this is going. Here's an illustration. Living. In plan, on planet Earth, it's kind of like we're living in a, in a deep canyon. Just, like, think about the Grand Canyon, like it's deep canyon, okay? So we're in this canyon, and because of our sin, we can't know, we don't see that there is a flash flood of God's wrath. A hundred foot high wall of water and mud and rocks barreling down this canyon that unless something changes, it will destroy us. But because of our sin, we can't see that God's wrath is coming. Okay, And because of our sin, we, we can't see that there is a trail out. And it's, it goes under a cross-shaped tree, if you will. Okay, Jesus, the cross-shaped tree. And it leads us into this lush valley up above the canyon floor, out of danger of the flash flood. God in his mercy has made a a trail for us to get up into this lush valley where we will know his love and his presence and the joy of worshiping him forever. But see, because of our sin, we're blind to this flash flood. No, it's just right upstream. Here it's coming. And the fact that there's a trail which will get us up and out. But in great love and mercy, God, like, parachutes a Bible down to you. You're down in this canyon, okay? And he, whoosh, and you open it up. There's a flash flood of God's wrath coming. And there's a trail that goes by way of the cross-shaped tree. There it is. People, come on! Let's go! So all of a sudden, you have more wisdom because you see 
what's happening. You see what's taking place. So yes, botany is important down here in the canyon. But take the botany with you and get up under the lush valley, okay, or what the math or the computer science, whatever it might be. So this book gives us more wisdom than anything else because it tells us why everything else is and where this is all going. Now, John Wesley powerfully summarized this point. Um, he, he wrote it. He, he actually, he wrote this in his journal, I believe. And so, some good friends of ours wrote, calligraphied this for me when I was back in seminary because we were all talking about this quote. So let me share this quote with you. Some of you maybe have heard this before, but here's how John Wesley put it. Get up there. There it is. He says, "I am a creature of a day." He's talking about how short his life is. Passing through life as an arrow through the air. Like, it's how long his life lasts compared to eternity. Just hovering over the great gulf of eternity. Till, a few moments hence, I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing. The way to heaven how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. Do you see how much sense that makes? I mean, listen, you are going to be alive, consciously, forever. 10,000 million years from now, you will still be consciously in existence, and that's just starting it all. You are going to be consciously alive forever. And this is the reality. Because of our sin, there's only two destinies. People will face God's judgment forever for their sin in hell. Forever. Or landing safe on that happy shore through faith in Jesus Christ and being forgiven by Him and knowing the joy of beholding God and His glory forever. So you are going to be consciously alive forever, either in hell or in heaven, and you hold in your hands the book that tells you how to get to heaven. Do you love this book? Do you know this book? Do you read this book? Are you memorizing this book? What could be more important? You're going to be alive forever. Consciously alive forever. Mm. Oh, how I love your law. Is my meditation all the day. Do you see why he would say that? This book gives you more wisdom than anything else will. Anything else will. Because this book alone tells you who you are, who God is, what the future holds, what's wrong with the world, how to escape God's judgment, how to come to know Christ, how to be saved, forgiven, what your life really is meant for worshiping God. Oh, how I love your law. So that's the first reason that he loves God's word so much and meditates on it. It's because God's word gives you more wisdom than anything else. Now, second reason. In verses 101 to 103, 
Now, to understand this, the second reason in these next three verses, remember in Psalm 119, often the authors talked about the fact that we always have two ways in front of us that we could go. Okay, there's God's ways. Okay, trusting Jesus Christ, to put this into New Testament terms, we're trusting Jesus Christ, we're relying on him to change our hearts, to forgive us, to enable us to walk in his ways, we're fighting against sin, there's, there's God's ways, where we experience God's presence, and then there's the world's ways, okay, where we are, do not be experiencing God's presence, and we're out of fellowship with God, and we're rebelling against God, and, and moving in a different direction. So look at what he says in verse 101. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. So here he is. He has God's ways and the world's ways. I hold back my feet from that way because I want to walk this way. Okay? And then 102. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. So I'm walking this way, and I'm not going to turn aside from this way, okay? I'm not going to go this way because God's taught me. All right? So he is passionately committed to obeying God's word. Now, let me just throw in a little parenthesis here. You might read this and say, well, that's hopeless. I could never live that way. But that is not describing perfection. He is not claiming sinlessness here. We see that when you read the whole Psalm 119. This is a man who is is following God, trusting God, and he stumbles and he sins and he repents and comes back. So to, to walk in God's ways does not mean perfection. It means that you are passionately walking these ways so that you're obeying God, you're trusting Christ, to put it in New Testament terms, and when you find yourself moving back over to this way, it's, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me, help me, and you're fighting. So you're trusting, you're obeying. When you stumble, you're being forgiven through Christ, and you're back on track again. Okay, so if you are, 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 like the song said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, okay, which if you don't think you are, then you may be, like, deceived, Okay, because we are all prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That does not mean that you can't be walking this way. It just means the way you walk it is say, Lord, help me. Strengthen me. Oh, Lord, my, my mind was wandering there. My eyes were wandering there. Please help me. I'm back. Forgive me. You don't justify walking in this path. You don't rationalize walking in this path. You don't whitewash walking in this path. You fight not to walk in this path. You can tell if you're in this path that you're fighting. Okay, let me put it that way. Now, why is he so passionate, though, about walking in this path? Why? Verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It's because when he walks in God's ways, okay, he's walking God's ways over here, There will be times when God, by his Spirit, makes God's word sweet to his mouth. What that means is that when you're walking in God's ways, you're fighting the fight, you're confessing your sin, you're being cleansed for ways you have sinned, you're you're, you're living a, a surrendered life to the Lord by faith in Christ. When you're walking in God's ways, you will have times when you open up God's word and the Holy Spirit lets you taste the truths that are there. So you're reading about God's glory, for example, and you'll have times where you you taste God's glory. Oh, you are glorious. I'm reading it, but I'm seeing it. Or when you're reading about God's love, 
What a great song, Seth. Thanks for teaching us that new song today. Where is Seth? Anywhere. Thank you, wherever you are. Um, But there will be times where you're reading about God's love, and by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you taste, you taste and you see, oh, look at God's love. You are loving. I'm seeing it. I'm sensing it. I'm tasting it. I'm feeling it. Thank you. There will be times where you read about God's forgiveness, and you just are assured of forgiveness. The love of God secured for you through the cross. It's yours. Heaven awaits. You're forgiven. You're righteous in Christ. Nothing can separate you from his love. So there will be times when, if you're, as you're walking in that path, you'll open up God's word, and you will taste the truths that you're reading about. And when God does that, reading his word the author says, will be like tasting honey. Now, just picture, I should have brought it visual aid me, but just picture a jar of honey, okay, and then a, a little spoon here, okay, and you dip it down into that honey, and it's, ooh, it's kind of a little resistance there, because it's like, honey is like thick, right? And, and you pull it out, and it's like, mmm. I mean, is anything more sweet than honey? I mean, really, it's like just this intense, like, whoa, okay, explosion of sweetness in your mouth. And he says that when you're walking in God's ways, you will have times when you, when you taste the truth of God's word, and it's sweet like honey. Although, actually, he didn't really say it's sweet like honey. Did you catch that? How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth sweeter. So here's the second reason he loves God's word and meditates on God's word and is passionate about walking in the path of God's word. It's because God's word will give you more soul sweetness than anything else. You, if, you, if you know the Lord, you've had times, and you know what I'm talking about, when you I mean, there are times when you read the word and that's just, that's not happening. Okay, right? That's reality for me and that's reality for all of us. There's times where that is not happening. That does not always happen. Okay? I, I wish it would happen. I pray God, open my eyes to behold. Help me see more clearly. I want to taste. Help me to taste. But there's times where that's not happening. And then you know there's times where that's happening. And you know, if you think back on those times, nothing Nothing compares to what it means to taste the reality of God and the truth of his word. Nothing that the world offers. Not porn. Not buying stuff. Not applause. Not, you know, fantastic vacations. I mean, nothing compares to the soul sweetness that comes when the Holy Spirit shows you the glory of Christ in the word of God. And so here's two reasons the author gives for why he loves God's word and why he meditates on God's word. The first reason is because God's word gives you more wisdom than anything else. And the second reason is because God's word gives you more soul sweetness than anything else. Now here's an illustration of soul sweetness. This is from George Whitfield. George Whitfield, evangelist, New England, England, 1800s. Here's what he wrote in his journal. He said, I began to read the Holy Scriptures upon my knees, laying aside all other books and praying over, if possible, every line and word. Just picture Whitfield. He's on his knees. Bible's open. He's reading. And he's praying over every line, 
every word. Oh, Lord, thank you. Help me to understand that. Strengthen me in that. Forgive me for sinning against you. Help me to trust you more. He's praying over every line and every word. And here's what he says then. This proved meat indeed and drink to my soul. I daily received fresh life, light, and power from above. So when you're walking in God's ways, you will have times where God gives you a taste of the truth of who he is in the word. And it's more, there's more soul sweetness when he does that than you'll find anywhere else. Okay, now, the author's not finished, though. He's got one more point he wants to make. And so here's the question. How does this all impact him, what he's just described here? And look what he says in verse 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding... I think here he means the wisdom that God's word gives and the understanding that comes through tasting the truth of the wisdom that God's word gives. So through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now I notice that he opens up this psalm in verse 97 saying what he loves. And he closes off this psalm in verse 104 telling us what he hates. He loves God's word. He hates the false way. Then I thought about how Paul in Romans 12, I think it is, commands us to abhor what is evil. Remember that command? Hate what is evil. Now, we do not hate people. We don't hate people who do evil. We don't hate people who teach evil. But we are told to nurture, to abhor evil. And that's what's happening here. And and that's, here's how I think you nurture that. It's that you see that there's two paths here. And when you're in the path of God's way, which is the true way, which is the way that is in sync with the reality of the universe, which is the right way, which is the way that you will experience God, fellowship with God through Jesus Christ in this way, when you're walking in that way, you will hate this way. Because you will see so clearly that these heart tastes are coming and you're getting wisdom from God and you're seeing who he is. and You will hate this way. Because this way is the false way. This way is the wrong way. This way is the way built on lies. This is the way that cuts off people from fellowship with God. And so you will hate this way. And that will be a powerful strengthening for you in resisting sin. Because we only sin when we like sin. Right? But if by God's grace we can see all that we have in his word, all that we will experience in walking in his way, then we will hate bearing a grudge against someone. We will hate jealousy. We will hate pride. We will hate self-seeking. We will hate gossip. We will hate prayerlessness. We will hate cliques. We will hate racism. We will hate murder. We will hate those things, and we should. Do you hate the false way? Is that in your heart? This is really convicting to me, because I, you know, hmm. And again, we do not hate people. Do you understand that? We do not hate people. We love people. We should be willing to die for that person who just did that terrible thing for the sake of showing them Christ and leading them to Christ, right? We we love people, but we hate the false way. So stir that up as well. That's one of his points here, and that'll flow from loving God's word and meditating on it all the day. 
Okay, now before we get into what this means for us, what questions does this raise? Stir up. Am I, am I clear? Am I in sync with the passage? Okay, I'd like to ask that question because we are a body of believers here with the Word of God, and I want you to go with what the Word of God says, not necessarily what I've said. So, Scott, start off. Start us off. Yes. Yes, that's a good, good point. And the word law is used in at least two different ways in the Bible. Okay? It's the Hebrew word Torah, which literally means instruction. So one of the ways it's used is a very broad way. I mean, so the, the law is like God's promises of forgiveness in the Old Testament. That's part of God's law, part of his instruction. That's how he uses it here in this passage, okay? It's also used in a more narrow way to speak of specifically the Ten Commandments, like the, the, the sacrifice laws, those kinds of things. And it's a little bit of a struggle because like animal sacrifices, those laws, we don't, I mean, we love that because it points to Christ. We don't love that like we're going to be doing that, okay? So the word law in this context is referring to all of God's instruction, um, not just like the, 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 like the like circumcision or animal sacrifices or the food laws, those kinds of things. Does that help? Okay, it's a really good question, though. Because the word law is used all through Psalm 119. Okay? He loves God's law. What else? My mom always brought me up to say, you love the person, you hate the sin. Yeah. So I've had to, you know... Remind myself that many times. Yes, yes, as we all do. Thanks, Heidi. So we do hate the sin, though. We hate we hate the false way. Hate the false way. Stir that up. Abhor what is evil. What else? Going, going, going. Okay. So here's one last question. What if you? Just are being honest in your heart, and you just you, you don't love God's word. I mean, you maybe you read it because you know you're supposed to. So you do, you got your chapter a day or whatever you do, but but to be honest in your heart of hearts, if you asked, you know, do you love God's law? You you love watching the giants, maybe, but I'm not sure you'd say you love God's word. And so maybe honestly, you're just simply saying, I, you know, I don't I don't love God's word. So I want to encourage you that the Bible is written for you. And God's word is for you, and this message is for you, because we all have times where that's the state of our hearts. And I find great encouragement, as I mentioned earlier, that the author of this psalm says, incline my heart to your word, which means what? Help me love your word more. So he says, that's not like he always constantly was full of love for the word. He had to pray for that. And so I want to encourage you, if you right now say in your heart, I don't really feel like I've got love for God's word, I've got good news for you, Okay. So here's, here's three things I would suggest you do. First, bring that to Jesus Christ and confess it to him as the sin that it is. It is sin. And confess it to him. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm, I'm full of unbelief here. I'm being deceived by Satan, by the world. Please, Jesus, forgive me. And as you do that from the heart, you will be assured of complete forgiveness from Jesus Christ, clothed with his perfect righteousness. The father's running towards you like the prodigal son, you know, right? Remember the prodigal son story? 
So the first step is to confess this to Jesus for the sin that it is and be assured of forgiveness. That's the first step. It's not the last step, but it's the first step. And then secondly, pray. Pray Psalm 119, uh, 18, I think it is. Incline my heart to your word and not to selfish gain. Psalm 119, I think it's verse 18. Or maybe it's 36, 36, 36. And pray that. Father, help me to love your word. See, you can't will yourself to love God's word. You can't just choose to do that. Holy Spirit needs to bring that change, and he will as you ask him. Help me. I come to you weak. I'm I'm a pauper. I have nothing to bring to the table except needing to be forgiven for my lack of love for your word and and the need to have the Holy Spirit change this heart. But see, that's, that's how the gospel works, right? And so you come and say, help me. Bring the power of the Holy Spirit upon me, Father, and change my heart so I love your word. I'm blind. I'm not seeing it. Change me. That's the second step, and he will, as you then take this third step, because the sword that the Spirit uses is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That's how he goes to work and does his soul surgery in our hearts. And so take these two reasons right here. There's others in the Scriptures, but focus on these this week. And pray over these verses and ask God, help me to see that your Word gives me more wisdom than anything else. And help me to see that your word gives me more soul sweetness than anything else. And just read over these scriptures and pray over these scriptures and trust those scriptures. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will change your heart. And then just start opening up the word and saying, Lord, help me today. And again, you will have days where you're not tasting. I have days where I'm not tasting. Every single person in this room has days where we're not tasting. But never settle for that. Confess that. Press in. And you will have days where you're tasting that the Lord's good. Let's stand together and I'll pray this over us. Father, I pray for each of us, me and each of us, Lord, forgive us for how many things we easily love more than your word. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. I pray that this coming week, you would do something powerful at Mercy Hill and that you'd bring us all to a whole new level of love for your word and passion to meditate on it throughout the day. Give us that, Lord, I pray. And then, Lord, as we fight the fight of faith by praying over these truths in your word, the truths that are the reasons for why the psalmist loves your word so much, change our hearts so we would love your word that much. Do this, Lord. And then this week, as we are in your word, give us times where we are filled with joy at the wisdom you give us, and we are deeply satisfied at the tastes that you give us. I pray that you would do this for our great good and for your great glory in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.